I want to read through Psalm 37 today. It'll take me just a bit to get there. Um, we're not usually familiar with the type of poetry that's in the Old Testament, although much of it has poetry. And in this particular psalm, it's written like an acrostic, you know, where you'd have the first verse B to the next and C, like that. And yet, <laughs> it's got 40 verses, and apparently it walks through the alphabet, but it does it in such a way as the first two verses would be connected with that, the thought would be connected with the, their first letter and such. Now you're going, I thought Hebrew had 22 letters. It does. The English Bible is written differently than the Hebrew Bible, and uh, there's some variation there. So I, I know that's kind of geeky stuff, but it's still interesting to me, so I share it with you. Uh, beyond that, this particular passage um, uses a phrase several times. It's not very common in Scripture, but it says, don't fret. And I always associate that with anxiety, you know, like this kind of nervousness, like what's going to happen. And there is that dimension of this, you know, where in Philippians it says, uh, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your requests to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds to Christ Jesus. In that particular passage, uh, I think of something that's kind of below the surface and just kind of this gnawing tension that I, I need to turn over to God. Uh, and I tend to associate fretting with that same kind of thing. Now, this particular passage, if you want a whole summary, the only other time that the term fret is used in some of our translations is in Proverbs. It says, don't fret because of evil people or be envious of wicked people. For the evil person has no future, the lamp of the wicked will be extinguished. Very similar thought to what this passage is going to be. The one thing that stood out to me as I was looking at it, though, is that my understanding of fret isn't quite the same as what, what the Scripture holds in this. Um, this particular word is used many other times, oh, about 90, not about, 91 times in Scripture as well, but it always comes across as anger, or his anger was kindled over this situation. You know, like when you put a fire together and you take the kindling and you, you, you know, put it all in place and you light it and it goes off, it's like your anger is kind of just adding pieces until you get hot. And it's kind of describing this idea of this, don't let this thing continue to boil in you until you're hot. And sometimes there's a jealousy that can be associated with this as well, where it's like, you know, you just keep looking, and man, it seems like they're doing great, and I, you know, what's the matter? Or what's going on? And you add another little stick to the fire, and pretty soon this thing is off and going. Um, in other words, if we read this and we see that term, Fred, and maybe we should be going, don't get all worked up when you see this. You know, don't let this take over your thinking. 
Don't let this control you to the point where you're just, your anger is just hot. Don't get your undies in a bunch. That's, right? It's kind of where that's going. So that's, uh, that was John's translation. Uh, okay, let's, let's walk through this. And it's written by David. So when we're reading this and we're reading his insights, it's important to understand this was an eighth son that when Samuel came to anoint the king, he wasn't even invited to the party. And so he's, he's known what it's, it is to be marginalized or, or thought of you don't have much potential. And then he's also the one that had to run from his life, from the king, even though he knew that he was going to be the king one day. He's the same one that had one son kill another son because that son had raped a daughter. So, you know, the family drama and, and disaster was around, right? And yet he is, he's telling us, don't keep adding kindling to the fire. Know that you, there's another way to live with this. Don't fret. Don't get all worked up when wicked men seem to succeed. Don't envy evildoers, for they will quickly dry up like grass and wither away like plants. He's going, this isn't long-term. Now, we in the New Testament era, we look and say, even in this lifetime, our, our goal is the eternal, and we recognize that everything around us is temporal. So if anyone, we should have the long-term view, right? Trust in the Lord and do what is right. Settle in the land. Maintain your integrity. Then you'll take delight in the Lord, and he will answer your prayers. In other words, set your mind to continue to do what you know is right. Live with integrity because you know this pays off in the end. Commit your future to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act on your behalf. He will vindicate you in broad daylight and publicly defend your just cause. It's like when you're looking around and you're saying, man, that person is not righteous and they just zoomed right on by me. Or, that you know, this person, it's like they're not even applying themselves and yet they keep falling into these things. And if you want, you can add a piece of kindling to the fire and it just starts to get hotter and hotter. And he's warning us, saying, don't live that way. Don't allow this to, to control you or take on a, a life of its own within you. In other words, say, my future is in God's hands. And where that goes, I'm going to trust him. He will provide. I like this idea of being vindicated in the daylight. Or he says, out, right out in the open, it's going to be obvious that God has provided Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait confidently for him. Don't fret. Don't get all worked up over the apparent success of a sinner or a man who carries out wicked schemes. Do not be angry and frustrated. Do not fret. There it is again. That only leads to trouble. He says, if you allow yourself to get all worked up over these things, it is not a good end. 
So he says, take over this thing. Wicked men will be wiped out, but those who rely on the Lord are the ones who will possess the land. Evil men will soon disappear. You'll stare at the spot where they once were, but they will be gone, but the oppressed will possess the land and enjoy great prosperity. Interesting picture, isn't it? He's saying, you're, you're going to look for evidence of that life that was poorly lived, and you're just not going to see anything from it. Yet he says, if you live in righteousness, there's an ongoing effect that you can plan on. Evil men plot against the godly and, and viciously attack them. The Lord, this is his perspective. Someone's looking to do another harm. He, he goes, the Lord laughs in disgust at them, for he knows their day is coming. And so he just said, God's not uh, bothered by such a thing. In fact, he's disgusted by such an approach. Evil men draw their swords, prepare their bows to bring down the oppressed and needy, to slaughter those who are godly. Their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. So he says, even schemes against the righteous will be undone and actually turn on the person that is doing it. The little bit that the godly man owns is better than the wealth of many evil men, for evil men lose their power, but the Lord sustains the godly. Interesting here, where you know you, you would have this tendency to look at this psalm and say, he's painting a picture of all roses for the believer and, and all disaster for the, the wicked, and yet in this moment he's saying, you know, even a little in God is better than having a great deal in wickedness. So he's, he's not equating prosperity as just wealth, which we, we get it in our heads, but it takes, at times, it just has to be restated, right? The Lord watches over the innocent day by day, and they possess a permanent inheritance. They will not be ashamed when hard times come. When famine comes, they will have enough to eat but the evil will die. The Lord's enemies will be incinerated. They will go up in smoke. So he's continuing to build on this idea that uh, even in difficulty, God is going to oversee the care of the righteous. Evil men borrow but do not repay their debt, but the godly show compassion and are generous. Interesting twist there, right? Surely those favored by the Lord will possess the land, but those rejected by him will be wiped out. The Lord grants success to the one whose behavior he finds commendable. Even if he trips, he will not fall headlong, for the Lord holds his hand. Interesting picture, right? You know, to, to just say, even in stumbling, God's there to help you through. To keep, you know, like you're, you, you got a little kid with you, right? And, and, and they're toppling, and yet the parent just hangs on and doesn't allow that fall. Surely those who are favored by the Lord will possess the land, but those rejected by him will be wiped out. The Lord grants success to the one whose behavior he finds commendable. Even if he trips, he will not fall. I was once young, now I'm old. I've never seen a godly man abandoned or his children forced to search for food. All day long he shows compassion and lends to others, and his children are blessed. 
Jesus once gave the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus was the beggar. Lazarus was the one who had sores that the dogs were licking. It was a terrible situation. And yet Jesus says when he died, Lazarus is brought into a good place. It, it calls Abraham's bosom. It's a, it's, it's a place of peace with the Lord. And he says the rich man died and went to hell. And he's going, there's a, a separation in the eternal that was you know, powerful to think about in the sense of in the temporal setting of Lazarus' life, although this is a parable, he's saying it didn't work out well. But eternally, when you look at that perspective, which would you rather live? He said, very clearly, we would rather be in Lazarus' position. He says, turn away from evil, do what is right. Then you will enjoy lasting security for the Lord promotes justice and never abandons his faithful followers. They are permanently secure, but the children of evil men are wiped out. The godly will possess the land and dwell in it permanently. I, uh, I had my grandsons out to the land with me a few weeks ago, and we took a trail that the one was, or Grayson wasn't familiar with, and, and he's going, I think we're lost. Now, trust me, I know where we are, but it was, it was one of those, we, we need to go back. And then, we, you know where we're going, and we should probably go back to the car. And, you know, all these questions are going up because he didn't know where he was. And I, I think of that in a psalm like this where I'm going, on the day-to-day, I might know, not know exactly where I'm at, so to speak. On the day-to-day, there are, I'm seeing things that I don't recognize, and there's, there's landmarks that don't make sense. But there's an awareness that if I'm willing to walk confidently in the Lord and follow His paths, He is going to bring me back to where I need to be or bring me to that setting, so to speak. And that's what this psalm is about. It says, don't get all worked up and allow your anger to keep flowing because you're not sure where you are on the trail. Don't let this jealousy or this looking around you saying, I don't recognize this setting. It doesn't seem like it's quite right. There's others that are seem to be doing okay, and they're... they're they're definitely not following the path. He says, don't, don't get all worked up over this. There's another, another portion of this. He says, the godly speak wise words and promote justice. The law of their God controls their thinking. Their feet do not slip. Evil men set an ambush for the godly and try to kill them, but the Lord does not surrender the godly or allow them to be condemned in a court of law. Rely on the Lord. Obey his commands. Then he will permit you to possess the land, and you'll see the demise of evil men. Um, There are all the time things going on around us that we don't understand. There are things that we look at and say, this is not healthy or this is not going in the right path. Don't Allow yourself to get fully worked up over that and keep addling kindling 
to your anger and your jealousy and, and the anxiety of the day. But rather say, I know that God's hand is over this. And that is, in the end, it will be well. I've seen a ruthless evil men growing in influence like a green tree grows in its native soil, but then one passes by and suddenly they've disappeared. I looked for them, but they could not be found. Take note of the one who has integrity. Observe the upright, for the one who promotes peace has a future. Sinful rebels are totally destroyed. Evil men have no future. But the Lord delivers the godly. He protects them in times of trouble. The Lord helps and rescues them. He rescues them from evil men and delivers them, for they seek his protection. So I look at this and I'm going, yeah, there's a lot of repetitiveness within this. There's a lot of saying, keep trusting, keep doing what's right. There's this declaration of saying, it will work out in the end. You will find prosperity, success in this way of the Lord where, the, you know, the, the, when we, and when we take it in the eternal perspective, there's an awareness that, yes, this is all going to work out. But where we are on the trail right now and what's going on right in this moment, we're not always sure. We're not always completely certain of how is this going to work out. And the anxiety levels build, and then there's an anger that goes, what if I've been wrong? And the psalmist is saying, God sees and involves himself in our lives. He cares deeply over us, and he has a good path with a good ending, even though we're not exactly certain where we are in the moment. So I just I put that out to encourage you and just say, each of us has our own situations where we look at, sometimes we look at others, even among believers, and go, how come they seem to have an easy life? How come it all seems to be working for them? Or we look out in the community and we say, you know what, they're living like a reprobate, but it all seems to be working in this moment. Or we look even around us in a larger scale and we're going, is God in control of this thing? Why is this taking place? And I feel like this psalm is just saying, don't be throwing sticks on that fire. Don't be letting your anger just run unchecked. Because there's a value to this trustful obedience that says, I have confidence in the path of God and in his leadership. And I know that I can trust him in these situations as well. And trust that is long-term. Not abbreviated, long-term. Lord, we thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you for the songs of the Old Testament. We pray, Lord, for that each one here will walk confidently of your good grace that brings justice, that brings compassion and care. Help us to trust you with that. Amen. God's blessing upon you. Just acknowledge His goodness for us. What remains is open-ended. Um, yeah. May your blessing rest on these, your people.
May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk confidently in trust for you. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.